0: Hey, Rockbridge. My name is Matt. I'm one of the uh, pastors on our team. Just welcome to our services, whether you're here in person in any of our six locations, watching online, tuning in where we're uh, on demand or live on one of our weekend services. Just thank you for being here. We are in the middle of a series called Dangerous Prayers. And as we're moving toward the uh, week of the 4th of July and the celebration that ensues there around July 4th, This week the dangerous prayer we're gonna talk about is just this one, God would you bless America. Now, we've probably all said that, heard that at the end of somebody's speech, some politician, somebody said that, hey, just God bless America. So there's kind of like where this is trite and, and it's heard and, and we're not really sure what that would mean. And so we're going to go on a journey today and we're going to all need to lean in and, and love God with our minds and ask God to help us in his word. But when God really uniquely chooses to bless, what does that mean? And we're going to turn to his word to try to figure that out. So God bless America is our dangerous You may have a notion of what you think that might mean, but let's suspend that for just a minute and subordinate and surrender that of what you think that might mean to what scripture says. But before we go just diving into scripture, let's recognize two things and let's recognize first that, hey, God has uniquely providentially blessed the United States of America in some amazing and some amazing, incredible ways from our founding to the resources that we enjoy here to our ideals, our freedoms, and this notion that we're progressing toward what Abraham Lincoln called a more perfect union. But if we zero in on what God says we should seek and pray for and why we should seek and pray for that in regards to our countries that we live in all over the world, we, we, we zero in on 1 Timothy. That comes to mind where we're told, first of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. And then he, Paul zeroes in on for kings and for all those in authority. And, and he doesn't make any political commentary. He just says, hey, God has established authority. And so we pray for the governments that God has put in place. And then he gives us a why, why we should pray this and, and why God's blessings would go into this so that we might lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So we may pursue a, a God-centered life. This is good. It pleases God, our savior. And now he goes to like God's ultimate goal in this time in the history of the world because God wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth so basically he's saying we pray for government we pray for our country so we can lead a certain type of life and that we can live sent and see people come to the knowledge of Christ as Savior so here we might say hey government kings those in authority what's going on in our nation all of those things are important but what is ultimate right now in history is for people to know Christ in a way that is saving, in a way that helps them cross over from death to life and go into eternity. And then you look at how our country was founded and you look at like the the pilgrims, and we've all talked about them. When they came and they had this thing called the Mayflower Compact, look at what they said. They said, in the name of God, amen, we whose names are underwritten, have an undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith. And the honor of the king, our king and country avoids to plant the first colony. So in, in the very first settlers here, they had this notion that they were advancing the cause of the kingdom of Christ, which ties back to sort of the, the spirit of what Paul was talking about in 1 Timothy 2. And, and, and then President Eisenhower, when we, he, we put into our national motto, the, the motto, In God We Trust, listen to what he said as he's reflecting on our nation. He says, we're reaffirming the transcendence of religious faith in America's heritage and her future. In this way, we shall constantly strengthen those spiritual weapons, which forever will be our country's most powerful resource in peace and war. Throughout its history, America's greatness has been based upon a spiritual quality. So we can't deny that there are some spiritual Christian Judeo-Christian underpinnings to America and to some of the ideals that shapes that we find ourselves that we find in our in our Bill of Rights in our Constitution in our Declaration of Independence And, and so that's important for us to see that in those ways God has blessed us that we're in a country like we're in we enjoy the freedoms the liberties that we enjoy we have the possibility to worship and all of those things so God has blessed America and then the second thing we need to recognize is God's desire is to bless. It's, his, it's in his very nature to bless people. In fact, we go all the way back to the beginning of, of the of the Jewish nation which started with this guy named Abram and listen to what God says to him he says go from your land your relative your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you I'll make you into a great nation I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing so we always see that for God blessings are never meant to terminate on one particular person or family but to actually emanate and go out from them so that you will be a blessing in other words we could say we're blessed to be a blessing but that's God's plan and then number six we get a great prayer of blessing the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance or put his favor on you and give you his peace and so we get this understanding right here that, hey, God wants to bless, America has been blessed. And so when we pray the prayer, God bless America, there's a danger in, the, in that prayer in that we would just stop at what we think it might mean for God to bless America. And, and let's just think for just a second. When I say God bless America, what would that look like to you? When I, when I even, let's just make it personal. If I were to say, hey man, God bless you, what would that mean for you? And, and the challenge of that is not we don't always understand what's ultimate when God is talking about blessing people, when God is talking about blessing a peoples, when God is talking about blessing a nation. And, and we kind of veer to what we would prefer or what we think or what, I mean, if I were God, this is what I would do, or this would make me better or happier or whole, this would make our country better. And what I want us again to do is to suspend that because honestly... When we think of the word "bless" or we think of the word blessing America, we might, think, we might be talking about, hey, just overall prosperity, uh, economically, everything and peace. We might be talking about the restoration of certain values that we find are important or certain values that maybe you, in, in our history used to be important. We may think about just winning, like winning the, the like our candidate wins or our issue wins or, or winning economically. So, so when we think about blessed, we can think about a lot of different things, but I think it's important for us to suspend all that and stop and, and understand that sometimes we're not even sure what's best when it comes to being blessed, let me say that again. We're not even sure what's, ble- what's best when it comes to being blessed. I mean, sometimes our greatest blessings, they were great for a season, and then later they weren't so great, right? Because we're not always sure what that means, or we're not always sure what's best, and we don't have the mind of God. So what I'm asking us to do, and this is so, so hard. I'm asking us, yes, let's pray for God to bless America, but let's go to Scripture and say, okay, what would that really explicitly and definitely mean? Because yeah, it could mean, it could mean, it could mean the the overturning of Roe versus Wade. It could mean uh, a reinstitution of the value of human life from conception to natural death. It could mean uh, a lot lot less racism. It it could mean less poverty, less divorce, less uh, illegal drugs. It could mean That God's definition of marriage is restored. It could mean that we go back to a creation-centric understanding of males and females, the way God has biologically created. It could mean all those things. But what does it definitely mean to be blessed at such a time as this from the Word of God? So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to Luke chapter, one, Luke chapter 11. And we're gonna talk this through in terms of praying because we're praying for God to bless. And what should we be praying for then? Here's what the word of God says. It says, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They're watching Jesus. They've watched him work, watched him move, watched him commune with God the Father. And they're like, hey, I wanna pray like Jesus prays. Just as John also taught his disciples. And so Jesus begins to teach what we now call the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And so he begins, he says, whenever you pray, I just want you to start and you just say, Father, Father. So we're going to get a couple of lessons here that will build us up and help us have maybe a new perspective on prayer and what it means to seek God's blessings upon ourselves and upon our country through prayer. The first lesson is this, humility is needed to pray humility is needed to pray first we pray as a child goes to a father and we have to always pray and understand that hey as much as we think we know best father especially our heavenly father who paid the price of his son's life so that we could call him father that our father knows what's best and because he didn't withhold his son for us he will give us what's best right so father we have to recognize and have humility. And then he says, teach us how to pray. So humility is in part just acknowledgement that we need to connect with God in prayer and we're dependent upon him. So we have to fight against self-righteousness and self-sufficiency. Self-righteousness, which is where we think we're okay or we think we're better than, or we think we know what it would mean to be blessed. Or or we think we know what God ought to do in 2021 or 2022 or what he should have done in 2020. So we got to fight against that. And we got to fight against self-sufficiency, which would cause us not to pray or not to pray passionately or not to pray consistently. And then once we get to this point, we go to God and we're going to let God be God. We, We don't go to God to impose our will We go to God to surrender our will to a good, perfect father who knows what's best and who still loves to bless. All right, so we're going to let God be God. And then Jesus continues and he says to them, whenever you pray, say, father, Your name be honored, or or some of you remember, hallowed be your name. God, let your name be set apart, which is what holy means. God, the the highest ambition, the greatest priority we have is for your name to be magnified and glorified, your name to be exalted. It's why in our mission statement, the, the very first phrase we say is Rockbridge exists to glorify God by to glorify God by connecting people from all walks of life to life in Christ. And so this is what we want, God. We want your name to be set apart. We want your kingdom to come. And we, we as Christians have to recognize that our true and ultimate citizenship is in the kingdom of Christ. And that trumps being citizens of the nation of America. And so your kingdom come, this is high stuff, this is big stuff, this is transcendent stuff. And then he goes small. I mean, we're up here, let's let God's name be magnified, God's name be exalted and glorified. God's kingdom would come, but God, we've got daily needs. So this is ultimate, the honoring of the name of God, the coming of the kingdom of God. And this is important now, though. But hey, God, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. And what we need to see is we, this prayer, which is very familiar to many people. What we need to see is this, the ultimate prayer is the honoring of the name of Christ, the honoring of the name of God, the coming of his kingdom. And these other requests, this other group of petitions for daily bread, for forgiveness, uh, (coughs) and also to be not led into temptation, they are meant to serve this ultimate request, right? So our highest and ultimate prayer is always gonna be for God to be glorified. If I asked us, what will we be doing forever? What are you and I gonna be doing forever, okay? Okay. It's not necessarily what we're doing now right? It it, is, will exist in the kingdom of God and we'll be enjoying, exploring and magnifying the glory of God forever. It'll take eternity for us to get to the depths of the glory of God. So, so right now it's like, imagine you're like uh, on, on a ship or something and you, and you see an iceberg and you know, you're seeing maybe 10%, maybe 15%, maybe 25%, but there's a whole other thing down there to know and to understand that exists. And so thank, Thanks to the word of God, thanks to the history of the church, the testimony of the apostles and the Jewish people, we see in part the glory of God. But we'll spend eternity enjoying it, exploring it, and magnifying God in his glory. And it'll be amazing, and it's the most satisfying thing to the human soul. It's what we were designed to do, destined to do, and Christ died to bring us back to that place and that, that, that position. So we have to understand then that the, the important serves the ultimate the important serves the ultimate and so when we start praying for God to bless our families or God to bless ourselves our jobs our businesses our homes our kids our marriages whatever and when we certainly start to pray God bless America we have to be careful that we don't reverse the order we have to be careful that when we say God bless America that our ultimate aim is is the magnification, the exaltation, the glorification that God's name would be set apart. And oftentimes what can happen is we get blinders and, and all we judge God by or judge what's going on by by what we see on the news, what we feel maybe in our hearts and what we can comprehend with our minds. And, and so what happens is important issues become ultimate issues to us. What's ultimate is God's glory. Now we, we can certainly say the issue of abortion or the issue of race or the issue of marriage are important, but we have to understand they're not ultimate, So let me show you how Paul explains this in one of his letters. 1 Corinthians 7, he says this. Let me say this to brothers and sisters. In the time that remains, it's very short. It's very, very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Now that sounds like, you know, if you're a wife here today, it's like, whoa, 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 I don't want my husband to see that, right? But what's he saying? He's saying, look, we're, we, we, because we're citizens, not just of a geographic political entity, but we're citizens of an eternal kingdom. And in that eternal kingdom, we're not going to spend all this time on pursuing marriage and, and investing in marriage. We're going to pursue it in the glory of God and pursuing his glory. So because we're citizens of an eternal king with an eternal kingdom, and because the time is short, let's recognize marriage is important, but it's not ultimate. He goes on. And he says, those who weep or those who rejoice or buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. So in other words, listen, our jobs are important, but they're not ultimate. Our setbacks, when we weep and we mourn, when we go through challenges, when we experience sadness, it's important. But it's not ultimate when viewed in the lens and through the lens of what's ultimate is the hallowing of the name of God. And he says again, so those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them for this world as we know it will soon pass away. So we can look at this and we can say, listen, The things that are happening, the things that bother us as Christian Americans, the things that concern us as Christians in this nation, listen, those things are important. But this world, and that includes America, this world as we know it will soon pass away. So we don't need to get uh, just unglued. We don't need to get overly anxious or burdened about these things that are important because the history is moving Beyond the important to the ultimate. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the important is going to serve the ultimate. But let's not make the important what's ultimate. Let's remember the primary and ultimate priority is our Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Now, because this is challenging, and, and I get that. Because I I know, I mean, there's some passionate people in the church about what's going on in our nation. Uh, I understand that, right? There's people, you know, some people are concerned about issue X and some by issue Y. And some people, I just don't know where things are going. Listen, I know where things are going. They're going to the glorification of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Spirit. Because he's told us that. How that works and how that happens, I just have to trust him as a father, a good father. So let's understand this and see scripturally, maybe through a different paradigm of how God works in such a time as this, in this temporary world. So I'm going to give you two examples. The first is Daniel. First in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 3, there's an order given to, uh, for, for the Jewish people, all the people, to fall down and worship a statue that was made to the king. And at this time in Babylon, there's a whole group of people from all over the empire gathered together, and they speak multiple languages, and they've come around, and there's this kind of a worship service or worship edict, if you will, given to fall down and worship a statue of the king. So he's talking to three Jewish men, and he says, hey, if you don't worship it, you're going to be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire, and who is the God who can rescue you from my power? So we, we have a hostile government. We have a dictator who is all about himself. We have a battle for worship going on. And these three Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, replied to the king, they say, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. In other words, king, you wouldn't be here if it weren't for God. But they say, even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. We're not going to do it. We're going to stand firm in our convictions. Now, now we've got some important things going on. We've got the lives of three people at stake here. But we've got something ultimate also, which is the worship of the name of Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of the Jewish people that we now know sent his only begotten son so that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. And so what happens is these three men were thrown into the blazing fire and the king is watching and he jumps up in alarm because he sees what's going on inside the fire. He says, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? And his advisors say, yes, your majesty. And he explained, look, I see four men and they're not tied and they're walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And in theological terms, we call this a theophany, which is an appearance of the Son of God, Jesus, in the Old Testament. And look what happens. Nebuchadnezzar, who previously said, your God can't control me, and your God uh, has no power over me. Now this same Nebuchadnezzar is saying, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command, risked their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I issue a decree now that any people, any nation or language who says anything offensive against this God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God, will be torn from limb to limb and his house made a garbage dump, for there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Now, here's what I see. Here's just my observations, because remember what's ultimate. I see there's hostility towards God's people which we might pray against and think that God blessing his people would be the removal of this hostility but God's aiming for something bigger something more ultimate than that. I see the courage and obedience of God's people exemplified by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I see the glory of God received. In fact, one biblical commentator says, this is the first time since the Tower of Babel when a collection of tribes and people groups were together speaking different languages and the first time they heard together as one, the name of God lifted up and exalted. Hallowed be your name. So in the midst of junk, in the midst of evil and hostility, the ultimate was still achievable. That gives me hope. And that takes me beyond maybe my finite understanding of what it might mean for God to bless America. Second example goes to the book of Acts. We call this the day of Pentecost. So all the believers are together. Suddenly, this is the Holy Spirit coming upon them. A sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now look at what was going on at the same time. It's very similar to what was going on in terms of the gathering of people, what was going on in Daniel chapter 3. So there's Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in its own language. And they preach, and here's one of the part of their message, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. There's the name of Jesus being proclaimed. When they heard this, (coughs) they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replies, he said, repent, be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, So let's just make some observations. We have the courage and obedience of God's people. A few weeks before their leader was crucified. And there's hostility, right? And uncertainty and difficulty that the church in the first century faces. They faced it a hostile government. They faced it hostility from the Jewish leadership. They faced an uncertain environment. In fact, you could say first century Christianity was way in a way more adverse situation than 21st century Christianity, at least in the United States of America, but the glory of God was still received. And so I began to look at this and I began to see that, hey, look, sometimes when it looks like we're not being blessed or sometimes it looks like when God's not in control and we don't know what God's gonna do, that God can show up and do something ultimate in a snapshot of time that points us to where he's taking ultimate history. And so both of these examples from Daniel 3 and Acts 7, uh, or Acts 2, excuse me, are foreshadowing what we see in Revelation 7, which is this, there's a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they're clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cry out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Hallowed be your name. It's happening. That's where history is going. And God takes less than-best circumstances in Daniel 3 and in Acts chapter two, and He points to where He's taking history. and he moves history, just moves the needle a little bit toward the hallowing of the name of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Because that's where he's working, and that's where he's moving. And it challenges my assumptions because both in Daniel 2 or Daniel 3 and Acts 2, this all occurred when the political system was not favorable to a God fearing Jew or to a born again Christian. And did they come unglued? No. They were focused on what's important, they were focused on what's, or excuse me, they were focused on what's ultimate. So Jesus, let's go back to his prayer, starts talking more about the importance of prayer with these priorities in order and understanding what's ultimate. He says to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says, hey, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine's on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him in a hospitality driven culture. That's kind of offensive and bad. It's like we had friends over for dinner, but we didn't cook enough food for him, you know, then he'll answer from inside and say, well, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I have already gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. He says, as I tell you, though, he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend. But because of his friend's shameless boldness, he'll get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, he's saying this to say, look, prayer is how we get what we need. But he's already said God is a good, good father and he already paid the price of, or he will pay the price of the son's death so we can call him and treat him and receive from him as a good father. So we, we don't, we're, we don't, we're praying not to a reluctant friend who's inconvenienced by our prayers. We're praying to a good father who is encouraging our prayers. So number three is this, prayer is the approved method for the kingdom of God to advance. And that's why Jesus is teaching us to pray this way, pray, hallowed be your name. Therefore, we have to recognize this, and it's where our church has been all of 2021. Prayer requires a persevering commitment to pray until we pray, not not a passing commitment, not when it's not a convenient commitment, but to pray until we pray. And then Jesus takes that we have a good God who's moving history to what's ultimate. We can call this God Father. He's ordained prayer as the way the Father will give good gifts. And now he encourages us to pray persistently. He says, everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. So what father, back to that analogy of father, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now here's what that tells me. Okay. That tells me even when God answers no or not yet or not now, we do not need to assume that he is giving us a snake or a scorpion. We have to trust that he is still operating as a good father who is moving history to the magnification and glorification of his son, the magnification and glorification of his name. And he's inviting us to participate in that movement through our persistent prayers that are aimed at his glory. So that encouragement is, tells me, number four, that prayer should always aim first and foremost at what is ultimate. We pray about what's important. We pray, God, we would like to see this change now. We need this movement in our our country. We need this resolved. God, we pray for the unborn. God, we pray and we work and we labor against racism. God, we're bothered by extreme poverty and how it affects young people. God, God, we just cannot stand to see the values that we see in your word, not honored in our culture, not honored in our society, but God, but God, I, I, I don't have your mind and I don't have your view of things. And I recognize this world that I'm in, this country that I'm in is passing away. But what will come, what will remain and what's penultimate ultimate is your glory. So God, I put all these things at your feet. I put all these things in front of your throne. I'm here because the blood of your son and my heart is for your glory. So if that's where we are, And just like in Daniel 3 and Acts 2, we're like, okay, God, I don't know how you can do this. I don't know how you can work in this because it's hostile. It's hard to be a believer. It's harder to be a Christian. It's hard to be bold. It's hard to speak out. But God, we want the name of Jesus known. We want the name of Jesus magnified. So when we we pray God bless America, where can we be definite, specific, bold and persistent in our prayers? That's where he goes in verse 13. Almost out of the blue. I mean, he's been praying, we've been talking about, you know, daily bread, forgiveness to sins. We've been talking about, lead me not into temptation. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, right? And God's a good father. He's not going to give you a scorpion or a snake. And now he goes, then, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so... When we're praying for God to bless our church, our marriages, our families, and certainly when we're praying God bless America, the one prayer I know without a shadow of a doubt God wants to answer, and I hope and pray that God will use this message today to move us to pray for what he's promised to answer, is this. God, would you send your spirit upon your church? And that church, that includes us. Would you send your spirit upon the church? Because listen, 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 listen. We need deep working in our heart to grasp the glory of Jesus. We can't legislate the glory of Jesus. We can't elect it. But the Spirit brings it. And the Spirit empowers and enables us to live in a way that makes Jesus attractive, glorious, and glamorous. And so I think the greatest thing we could do and understanding we could have, and we say, God bless America, is say, God, would you send your spirit upon your church? Because the greatest blessing God can give is himself, is himself, is himself. So back in 1876, a famous preacher known known as Dwight Moody, got like thousands and thousands, tens and thousands of people gathered together in New York City for a kind of a crusade or revival-ish rally. And before it starts, or the first night, he shares this message. And I think this message is right in line with where we need to be as the people of God for such a time as this. Here's what he says. He says, if we are to have the word of God in the city of New York, we must give God all the glory because that's what's ultimate. The people are saying, surely there's going to be a great work now. There's such a great choir and congregation and so many ministries. And Moody goes, but it's not by might or power, but by God's spirit. And we have got to get our eyes off all of these things. And there will, Or there will be no work and no blessing until this is done. He says, we do not come with any new gospel. It's the old gospel, the old story. Christ buried, crucified in our place instead of us. Christ raised, resurrected, reigning and ruling and inviting us. So we want the old power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And if it is anything less than that, it will all come to naught. It'll all come to naught. There are some things that make me tremble as if the work will all come to naught because there's so much man worship, so much putting people on a pedestal or so much, hey, look what God can do or oh, maybe God, maybe our hope is in this person or in that person. And Moody says, no, 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 no. We've got to get rid of the man worship before it will be a deep work. We've got to sink Self. If only we can get I down in the dust and get outside our dignity and get self out of the way and say, Here, Lord, use me if you can, and if not, use somebody else. So let us look at the cross with Christ in full view, and then we will have people coming into the kingdom of God. This is ultimate and the greatest blessing God could give. The country that I love is that he would send his spirit afresh and anew upon me and upon you and upon the people of Rockbridge and the thousands and thousands of churches that would dare to be humble enough, to be obedient enough, to be abandoned enough, to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking. God, we need you to bless America but maybe not in the way we're tempted to envision, but we want you to bless America in the way your word promises, by the sending of your spirit upon your people so that the name of your son may be set apart as holy. And so let's unite as we pray, hallowed be your name, your will be done, your kingdom come. And let's unite as the people of God and say, God bless America. God, send your spirit upon your church. Let me pray with us. God, I thank you for this time together. And uh, Lord, first I just want to pray um, right now that any of us that have put our preferences ahead of your revealed principles and purposes, that you would forgive us. God, that any of us that might have tempted to be presumptuous in our prayers and assumptions, you would forgive us and humble us. And God, we just want to come humbly before you as people who love the United States of America. Uh, God, as people who, but our highest calling is to be your sons and daughters, call you father and aim for your glory. So God, in this place that you've put us providentially and sovereignly, we want to stand in a gap today, but not just today. We want to stand in the gap and pray and ask you to bless this country. And God, we don't always know what that means because we see in your word where you blessed people in suffering, where you blessed people under very, very extreme, harsh governments, where you blessed people, God, who, who days before were huddled up in fear and then days later were bold in proclamation but you bless by sending yourself and by magnifying your name. And so, God, that's what we mean when we say God bless America and when we make ourselves available as empty vessels for your spirit to fill and your spirit to use. So, God, send your spirit and find our hearts always aiming at the magnification, the exaltation of your name in who we pray. the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.